Welcome to the latest edition of Both Sides of the Coin, the CDN Publishing Podcast. My name is John Feigenbaum. I'm the publisher here, and I'm joined by editor Patrick Ian Perez. We're here this edition to discuss the latest marketing reports from the rare coin business and give some anecdotal thoughts about what we see in the coin market as we spend most of our days examining data and reflecting price changes. Uh, Patrick, uh, I know you've just returned from the Long Beach show and the Goldberg auction prior to the sale, and maybe you have some thoughts that you'd like to share with us on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Long Beach was the first major show after fun, so we had about a six-week hiatus as far as major shows go. Um, so I think some dealers were itching to do business. Um, a lot of, a fair amount of uh, dealers from the West Coast or from the Midwest and East Coast came out to the West Coast. Um, and yeah, for a Long Beach show, uh, everything I heard of, as far as the Borscht floor was, it was relatively busy. Um, good wholesale dealing, uh, kind of repeating the same themes um, that we had last year in the sense of lighter retail traffic, but the wholesale business was uh, relatively strong. Um, as you mentioned, there was two major auctions. Uh, Goldberg does theirs on the Sunday and Monday prior to when the show starts. And then, of course, Heritage has the official auction, uh, which takes place at the venue uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then um, some online-only sessions afterwards. Um, as usual, Goldberg, you know, they highlight uh, copper collections most often. You know, that's kind of they made their niche uh, in that over the past decade. Right. And there was four major collections sold, but the one I'm going to kind of focus on uh, that got most of the attention was the uh, Doug Bird collection. Um, it was 179 lots uh, of large sense. He has very nice uh, collection. But one thing, and we've seen it, you know, we've, as re- readers know, we've we rolled out the Sheldon pricing for large cents about a year ago, something that had never been done before. And so we have a totally different reference point when we look at collections like this now, which I think is really cool. And so just going through it, one thing, so generally speaking, I think the large cent community is kind of in a time of transition. And there's, or, there's already been some blog posts from other dealers about this over the past couple of months. And that is, we're kind of in a generational change where a lot of the collectors who have built really substantial collections have now sold and there's kind of a little bit of a vacuum uh, for new collectors to come in and so we're kind of in this limbo where if you're holding a nice collection you're not really sure if you should sell because you're not really sure if the buyers are there to support what you paid to build your substantial collection so i think bird is kind of the last one we're going to see for a while because i think anyone else who has these coins and this is of course just speculation on my part is going to hang on to them for a little while until they're kind of confident that the buyer base is going to be there. Um, and the reason I say that is because some of the bird coins that were really nice um, sold for substantially below their uh, auction pre-estimates. Um, and we can get into a conversation about what you know auction estimates mean. You know, They're just someone's guess, and especially with something like early copper, it can be particularly difficult. But I think, John, you would agree as a former auctioneer yourself, you always set the estimates pretty conservatively. Well, you try to. You, you certainly, you're, you're, you know, there's always pressure. There's always a tension between the consigner and the auction house as to how you set those reserves. And and typically what you'll see is if it's a an active consigner who's, who's alive and is going to attend the sale, that you'll see where the reserves or the estimates, for example, are, are just closer to what they hope is reality, whereas if it's an estate and the the 
person who assembled the collection isn't isn't on hand, then you'll see that's the kind of sale where where the results are, you know, the collection sold for ten times estimate or fifty times estimate. We call it a dead consigner sale, where where you know the auction house will artificially come in low on the basis that that they'll later be able to market the fact that they did so fantastic. But but again, that that really is a marketing thing, and of course, Doug Bird uh, is. You know, I'm sure was in attendance of the auction and very, very aware of what was going on, and probably had a lot to do with the estimates. If I had to guess, yeah, that's that's accurate. And you know, he he had owned a lot of these coins for 30 plus years, so I mean, I don't think there was any uh, financial disasters. Um, I will point out a couple of results, both um, that outperformed and underperformed. Um, if, you'll, if you bear with me, um, so we had a. Uh, 1796 Sheldon 91. Uh, all these coins, by the way, graded PCGS. Uh, AU 58 estimate 30k uh, realized 18,600. Um, we had a 70 uh, S76A, which is a 1795 cent PCGS MS 65 estimated at 125,000, sold for 81,000. Um, we had a 1794 Sheldon 45 MS 62. Uh, estimated eighty thousand, sold for fifty thousand four hundred, and then an S fourteen, a seventeen ninety three, uh, Liberty Cap uh, AU fifty, uh, estimated at two hundred twenty five thousand, sold for one hundred sixty eight thousand. Um, did you see any? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did you see any uh, that were that were the other other way? I mean, it sounds like you know, those were a lot of, of negative results. How about positive? Was there anything? Yeah, absolutely. That stood out to you? Yeah, for sure. Um, my favorite coin of the of the Sheldon uh, series, the S forty eight, the starred reverse, seventeen ninety four. Uh, Bird had a fine twelve, uh, estimated at forty thousand, and realized realized sixty three thousand. There was a eighteen oh one S two thirteen. Uh, MS64 uh, estimated at 20,000 sold for 45,600 so double more than double and a really interesting coin uh, everyone knows that the 1799 is you know a famous date in large sense uh, the S188 which is the overdate the 1799 over 8 uh, XF40 estimated at 40,000 sold for 93,000 wow wow good and then the good. the last so, coin that's that's most interesting um 1811, the S287, which is one of the few um, early large cents that's found in really high grade. Uh, I thought this was interesting for a couple reasons. This coin used to be in an MS65 red-brown holder. Now, when they resubmitted it to PCGS to get the Sheldon attribution, and this is according to the catalog, it came back MS65 brown. So it got a downgrade in color designation, and it sold for $60,000 against a $100,000 estimate. And interestingly, Pogue, back in 2017, had a 280, S287 that's MS65 red that sold for 493000 so you know, nearly half a million. Um, but the catalog says that uh, the, cop- the copper experts put the bird coin ahead of the Pogue coin because the Pogue coin has questionable color, according to the, to the insider. So it's very, very interesting. Interesting. That 1811, the, the Pogue coin, I think, has recently returned to the market as well. I, I believe um, it has been offered in private treaty that recently. Yeah. And when it sold for half a million, the, the stacks estimate was 100 to 125,000. So it, you know, went for five times estimate. So it, it's it's pretty wild stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it just goes to show how difficult a job we have to, to hear those kinds of things, um, that we, we, we're faced with these kinds of dilemmas on a regular basis. But it's, tr- it's truly a collector market. And that's, that's how you know it's a collector market because, you know, it's, it's thin in some areas and thick in some other areas where, you know, there's deep, deep bidding. And when there's, when there's only one bidder or, or, or the same item repeats itself, um, you know, and there's only two buyers, then the second one can go awfully cheap. So it's, it's interesting. And we, we take all these things into account when we do our pricing, as you know. But I think it's, it's fascinating for, for people to realize, you know, just how complicated uh, pricing of collectibles can be, especially when you get into nuanced areas like, like early copper. 100%. Uh, and then just quickly to touch on Heritage, they did um, slightly over $13 million for their official Long Beach sale. Uh, they had nine coins in the six figures led by a really outstanding complete collection of um, Liberty Eagles, uh, $10 gold pieces. Uh, the 1875 sold for 360000 which is right. Uh, it was an AU50 PCGS, which is kind of right about where it should have gone. Uh, the last one sold right in that same neighborhood, uh, $372,000 uh, back in 2018. Um, so, yeah, so that was nice. That 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 collection sold for more than $3.2 million. So it just does a show that if you have the perseverance to actually complete that collection, it's a, number one, it's a humongous accomplishment, but it's a, you know, I'm not sure what the guy paid, but 3.2 million is a nice chunk of change. Sure. Sure. Well, and, and either, you know, either way, it depends like, like you said, how long he had it and, and uh, how he acquired the coins, but, but great collections are always demand interest, you know, when they come back for sale, it's always good for the market. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and just to, just to, before we move on to a different subject uh, on this, on the early copper, uh, it's a perfect segue for me to bring up the, the introduction of pricing of, of early half cents by Cohen variety. And we've had the good fortune of working with a known specialist and very highly regarded dealer in the, in the coin business, Chris McCauley, who, who every, everybody knows and loves um, in the business. And, and, after about two or three years of arm twisting, uh, I was able to get Chris to, to help us out. And we're now going to offer a distinct pricing grid for all the Cohen varieties of half cents in the April issue of the monthly gray sheet for the first time. And we will soon roll that out in our retail guides as well. But, you know, Chris and I had some, some long conversations about how to look at pricing you know, for specialized copper like this. And we really realized that we have to go off off the standard um, grid, if you will, for how we how we price based on auction data or things like that. Because, you know, even coins graded by, both coins graded by PCGS or both coins graded by NGC can have vastly different prices realized in auction because of surface quality or specific demand at the time. So, so in order to bring some, some you know, order to this this chaos actually you know cdn wants to to publish values to give people guidelines it's for sure you're never going to pick you know pin down the fact that you know a certain coin in, in the grade of xf is worth a hundred thousand dollars as you can as you saw with the goldberg sale that same coin could sell for seventy thousand or one hundred and fifty thousand, just depending on on you know any kind of arbitrary factors or real factors so We've, we've done our best to put an initial set of values down for the Cohen based on Chris's estimation of their wholesale value. And what we're really hoping to do is get feedback from the copper community. And we want to expand, you know, uh, expand our coverage of, 
of these specialized areas like this as time goes on, because we really think there's a there's just a dearth of this information for the market. So if you're interested in collecting half cents by Cohen, you really wouldn't know where to start, uh, you know, in terms of your financial commitment. Uh, so so this is this is a great you know indicator, um, you know. Relative sense, you'll you'll be able to see which varieties are worth more than others in the relative sense, uh, and so on and so forth. So what we're trying to do is bring information that that until now only a few experts have held in their head, and I think it's just really exciting. I never had this when I was a dealer, and I was thought you know, one day I'm dreaming if I'm the publisher of the gray sheet or something like that, I'm gonna I'm gonna try my hardest to get this information out there. So, so we're excited about this and, and uh, to publish this information and to, you know, to keep doing more specialized information areas like this. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the last two things I'll add is just looking over the, the Goldberg sale the past week, it's as if there's not enough things that make early copper unique. Another thing is that it seems like the collectors almost, CAC doesn't have as big of an influence on what buyers pay for early copper. Um, Correct. And then secondly, just in a more general sense, of having something like uh, Sheldon pricing and Cohen pricing is that if anything, it gets the conversation started and it gets more people talking about it because it's more public and the information is more accessible. At any time the conversation starts, then more information starts flowing and then, then the pricing or the at least the, uh, the available information becomes more and more relevant. Right, right. Information is, in my opinion, the key to expanding this hobby and bringing in New, new collectors and, and educating current collectors. Okay, now we go to a special interview segment from the Berlin World's Fair of Money where we have Sebastian Wieschowski. He's worked as a freelance author with a focus on coins and precious metals since 2012. Sebastian is the author of several self-published numismatic reference books such as The Bullion Book and The Fake Coin Bible. He is also known for publishing numismatic videos on YouTube under the title Coinisseur. Sebastian, thank you for joining us. I realize the Berlin show is focused heavily on world mint participation, but how do you view the European collector market for classic coins, especially compared to last year at this time? I would definitely agree that the world mints and modern coins are, play a very important part in the world money fair, but of course the classical coins and the usual numismatic coins, they also play a very important role at the World Money Fair in Berlin. You can, for example, see this by the uh, record auction results that were achieved this year at the uh, Künker auction. They had a starting bit, total bid of 7 million euros and they finished at 10 million euros. So you can definitely say that the market for classic coins in Europe is very healthy. However, I do see that the prices for items in, in regular conditions, they are declining. That You must say that. So, for example, if you uh, collect traditional Kaiserreich or Weimar coins, uh, they are going down, the prices are going down in regular conditions, but if you have coins in better conditions or if you have rare years and uh, rare mint marks, then you're definitely on the, on the sunny side of numismatics here in Europe. Sebastian, is there anything really exciting being announced this year by the attendees? 
Well, normally Germany is not the country that would present great news at this show here. But this year it's what it was totally different because Germany has rebranded their official sales agency for German coins that had a very uh, traditional name before and has been now rebranded as Münze Deutschland, which is uh, translates to Mint of Germany. So the five mints in Germany, they are now under one roof, under one umbrella, and they are marketing their coins together. And this is from my point of view, that's a very interesting and important move because those five mints, they still operate independently and they are also competing on the market for private minting orders. And so now on the one side, they are enemies and on the other side, they have to work together to promote coins in Germany. And the important and interesting thing from my point of view is that it's not just a name change. It's also uh, there has been a big marketing campaign that has been launched all over Germany and I all I already saw some advertisements on, on uh, big billboards and saw some ads in newspapers where German celebrities promote collector's coins and that's from my point of view. I have never seen this before in my life and I hope that this helps promoting numismatics in general and of course also German coins. So that was something that was uh, that nobody had seen coming and that was really um, an interesting piece of news from, from good old Germany, you might say. So what is the mood overall at the show in terms of enthusiasm for 2020? Is it positive, negative, neutral? What do you think? Yeah, from my point of view, the general mood at this year's show was very good. Of course, the, the mood in Berlin is always good because it's it's a family renew, reunion. It's a place to meet your friends, old friends, and make new friends in the world of numismatics and uh, just to buy new stuff. So there is a general positive mood in the house. Um, but this year, I think it was very positive, mainly because of the uh, rising gold price. Gold and silver prices are going up and they have reached their all-time highs in euro in January of 2020. So that was, of course, something that drove prices and drove uh, interest by dealers and by collectors. And from my point of view, especially those standard bullion coins and investing coins, they were in high demand. And that also helps driving the numismatic market and also classic items. I would also say that expectations are very high for next year because in 2021, it's the 50th anniversary of the World Money Fair. And I think everybody on the market knows that this show needs to redefine itself. It needs to be innovative, it needs to be on the forefront, and you haven't seen a lot of innovations at the World Money Fair in recent years. And we even had a changeover to a new CEO last year who came in as a, as a change manager. She was a young, aspiring a female person from the world of finances and also a part of the Kunker family. And she resigned after just some months. So that was uh, something that a lot of people thought that she could be a change manager and she could change this industry, but obviously it didn't work out. And so expectations are very high for next year, what's, in, what's to come and how this show could be innovated to be on the forefront also in the future. Okay, last question, and thank you for your time. Do you have any suggestions for the U.S. market from a European perspective? I think that's what my readers really want to know. 
Well, I think you guys in the US, you also do a lot of good stuff on coin shows. I had the chance to visit several coin shows in the last years in the US. Um, and for example, I think the, the American coin shows, they are much better when it comes to education, for example. So you would not find those public presentations and public displays on special uh, collection areas. You wouldn't find that in Germany. And that's something that I uh, realized in the US and I like very much. How, however, I would say, Speaking of the World Money Fair and other shows in the US, I think um, the American shows, they could be a bit more as a, real, as a real show, like to attract families, to have more world mints on site, because in, in Germany at the World Money Fair, the most important room is the, the main hall where all those fancy uh, world mint booths are located. And I, I always used to say that's the, the Disneyland of numismatics. And... I would I would think that the coin shows in the US they could be a bit more like a Disneyland for coins just to attract more of the general audience and not only the the diehard collectors but this is just a small thing that I th think that could be changed aside from that I'm I'm very much looking forward to attending all the coin shows in the in the US and I think uh, you guys are already doing a a very good job in handling coin shows Sebastian, thanks for your time and look forward to talking to you soon. One other development that we're really excited about here at CDN Publishing is that we are, as we continue to expand the kinds of offerings and products we do for whether they're technological, like CDN Exchange or our website, we also like to uh, you know, remain in the terrestrial world of books, or in this case, a crossover between a, a book that is digital and available in PDF form and written by our very own Patrick Ian Perez. It's called Modern Chinese Paper Money, 1949 to Present. And Patrick, I'd love to hear you know, your thoughts on, on the book, why you wrote it, and your thoughts about it, and what you think about this marketplace in general. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it all stems from being a collector of, of world paper money for, gosh, I guess about 25 years now. And growing up you know, using the Krauss catalogs, also known as the standard catalog of world paper money, the SCWPM, that's kind of everyone's Bible. And realizing as the years progressed um, that the pricing was just very, very ineffective. And, and, so, and, and so, you know, throughout my life and then now joining CDN and understanding how much, how critical information is to the hobby and to help dealers and, and collectors do business with each other, um, I felt there was a huge need. And then now, and then the, the second aspect was the huge growth in third-party certification for paper money. Uh, led by PMG, where you're seeing notes uh, sell for huge premiums when they're in certain, you know, uncirculated grades. Because forever it was just one grade, right, uncirculated, and every note was the same. When experts really knew that no, this note has a little bit better centering, or um, is just really, really, you know, perfectly registered front to back, kind of like a stamp, uh, deserves a premium. And so that's. Uh, that's where the impetus came from, and I chose uh, modern Chinese paper money because it has shown to be the, the highest growth market, and it was the one where the spreads were most extreme uh, in high grade. So let's say from MS from uncirculated sixty three to like sixty seven, there was a huge spread which you don't really see in many other markets. Um, so that's that's where I started. Um, 
and just started putting together auction results and talking to dealers and then my own um, experience buying and selling and going through dealer inventories, you know, for hours and hours at shows. Um, and in the end, it was a ton of fun. Um, we have really solid images that we license from Owen Lindsmeyer, who uh, has a great publication called The Bank Notebook. Um, and we wrote descriptions. And so, so long story short, I think it's a really accurate price guide for collectors to at least know where you should be when you're looking to purchase these notes and build a collection of modern Chinese paper money. For sure. For sure. I mean, it, it you know, especially for someone like me who, who does not have any familiarity with this series, um, this, you know, sheds an incredible amount of light on the subject. And as you said, I mean, you, it wouldn't even be approachable otherwise. And, you know, the world paper money in general is really exciting. You've told me so much about, about that and other dealers now are really getting excited about, you know, world paper money in general. And of course, I think, no better place to start than with the modern Chinese uh, notes. So we really appreciate your effort there. Yeah, and I think probably the thing that we can be most proud of uh, as CDN is that it really is the first, I mean, to my knowledge, it's the first ever book that prices notes in specific certified grades. Um, now, of right. course, just, just like when coins started, you know, so many years ago, uh, and John, you could talk about this much better than I can because yeah, I wasn't around. Because I'm old. Well, your experience, let's put it that way, <laughs> and and <laughs> there's you. still there's still if you if you talk to international you know people across the world collectors and dealers a lot of them real still are, are very much down on certification, uh, which is understandable. But in reality, if you really start looking at notes, and it doesn't matter what country, but if we're talking China, let's say, it really is difficult to find a true gem, and it's worth a premium. And I think more and more people will wake up to that. Just like we're, real, you know, just like now in coins, it's a given that a, you know, an MS sixty five Morgan looks physically better than an MS sixty two. When in a hundred years ago, it was just onk. Um, you know, hopefully in fifty years in paper money, people say, "Wow, that's a real gem," and that one's just barely uncirculated, and there deserves deserves to be a different price for these two notes. And so we're just kind of starting to climb that mountain in the in the field of world paper money. Right. There's a lot of opportunity there from that standpoint. Uh, if a lot of people made a, you know, made with a sharp eye, made a lot of money in the rare coin business as that transition occurred in the 1980s. So naturally, um, you know, if if world paper follows that evolution, it's there's, there's a lot of opportunity, and I've heard that as well from people. Yes, hundred percent. So um, so hopefully this book is a start to, you know, as people see it and say, oh wow, I didn't realize that this note jumped so much, and it's backed up. And and I think the other important thing to that, that I stated just, just now is that it's backed up by actual transactions and, and money that people have put down and said, okay, I'm willing to pay this premium for this note in this grade. And so therefore it's real. It's not something that we're just saying, oh, I, you know, if this note was in this grade, it should be worth this much. You know, it's backed up by real world data. Right, right. Exactly. We expect, we wouldn't expect any less from, from you and CDN would always insist on that kind of um, accuracy. Exactly. And, and so, John, you've done a great job, uh, obviously, with the web. We now have a landing page on the website, uh, graysheet.com. You can find the book. Uh, you can find some sample images um, and the ordering information. So hopefully people check it out. Right, right. The, the new book uh, follows a model that's kind of unique, I think, to to publishing industry, which is that the, you know, the way we built our website, the way we built our pricing online is that is that. Um, you know, we're really a subscription-based company, whether you subscribe to 12 magazines a year for the monthly gray sheet or, or things like that. So the, that, the way our infrastructure is designed, that it 
that even though yours is quote unquote a book, um, we, we're really looking at it as a periodical that you will be updating really whenever you get new information. If somebody comes to you and, and, and has a new major variety to list in the book, then you'll be able to publish that. And because the book is download PDF um, used in real time, you'll you'll be able to make those changes anytime you have new information, pricing or otherwise. And and as an owner of the, or a licensee of the book, actually, what you're going to have is access to it for the for one calendar year when you purchase it. So it's a one year license that we're that you're buying, and we think this model actually makes a lot more sense in the 21st century because, you know, um, w- you know we can we can keep iterating on it and we can stay in business. Uh, you know, making incremental, um, you know returns on, on subscription value from people and provide that data. So that's that's the business model we're working with here. And I think it's really exciting. Um, and I don't think it'll be the last of it. And it'll allow us to do a lot of other books too. Yeah, absolutely. I was already looking at the calendar and kind of planning, you know, based on when big auctions happen and when big shows happen. Um, you could, I could easily do two major revisions a year that would update you know, many, many prices. So it's right. exciting. Very yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, absolutely. So thank you. Thank you again for doing that, Patrick. And we look forward to, um, you know, people people embracing the book. And uh, unfortunately, it does. It was released at a time that's that's uh, very difficult for people in mainland China and around the world with the coronavirus fears. And so we wish everyone in China well and the best of, you know, luck with the situation that they're facing and we know it's very serious, and you know we, we know that's a priority over your collecting. Uh, although maybe maybe when you're cooped up, it's a it's a good time to to take the time to study things. Um, you know why why you can't get out as much. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and that's funny. It, actually, that's that's very accurate. I think you know collectibles and your hobby is like one of those things that you really do cling to, that give comfort. You know when right, right when when. Think when the you know times are tough and and it's a very difficult situation. Um, let's uh, shift our focus, Patrick, to um, the uh, another major project we're involved in, and that is the CDN Exchange, which is our uh, digital network, dealer to dealer network, where um, members can post messages in private with one another and post bids for items they're interested in, and can all we use it here at CDN on a daily basis because this is our primary source of prime pricing information. So the information that we use to do to determine pricing most of the time comes off of CDN Exchange. So if you're a dealer or a coin professional of any kind, you really cannot afford not to be on CDN Exchange. Uh, but we've added a, a number of new features, to, to, way too many to list in the last 30 days alone. But one thing, you know, a few things that I'll highlight here include the fact that we've, you know, really upgraded the image, the um, messaging functionality. So it's it's a bit more like current social media sites like Facebook and others where you people can post messages with pictures or videos, and then you can like a picture or a message. You can you could comment on that. Anybody who interacts with a certain message will get an email once a day explaining. Um, you know, uh, you know what the feedback was on that. So we're we're trying to create a social, you know, aspect to the dealers. Uh, you know, in that way, we have um, enhanced our trading screen to 
you know, we include all the major auction houses, of course, but now you can place bids based on the metal content of something. So that, that especially as, as we know, you know, gold has been shooting through the roof here. We could spend an hour on that conversation, but gold is shooting through the roof in the wake of this coronavirus fears and stock market uh, plunge. And there's no possible way that, that we could keep up with that in a pricing sense with tens of thousands of coins and hundreds of thousands of prices that are related to gold content if we hadn't built into the system the ability to, to, you know, to monitor gold and formularize how these items trade relative to you know, their gold content. So we were ahead of the game a year ago while gold was flat. And now every hour the website is updated with new pricing. CDN Exchange is updated as well. Dealers can come along and instead of saying, you know, I'll pay $1,500 for a $20 gold piece in XF, they can say, I will pay $25 more than its melt value. And so as gold changes, their value, their bid changes. They don't get caught in a situation with gold dropping where they, they might be exposed or, you know, or they have a bid in the opposite case where the bid doesn't doesn't even match what the gold, you know, what gold content is today because gold shoots up $75 an ounce. So... We, we, we saw all this coming and, and built into the system, the, you know, the functionality. And, and so it's been really, uh, you know, it's really powerful and it's nice to see people starting to embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I've, I think it's really cool with the, how much increase in traffic on the messages we've seen. Um, all, all, like, as you mentioned, all the major players are there and they're posting now. It's really cool. Like, you know, just yesterday, two different major coin dealers posted that they need to buy Carson City Dimple Morgans. Right. So if you're right. on CDN Exchange, obviously you're you're saying to yourself, "Oh wow, someone obviously there's m- multiple people looking for these coins. Maybe I should be paying attention too." And so it just gives you insight to right. what's happening, and it's and you're not getting that anywhere else. Right. Clearly, there's some buyers out there for for dimple dollars that we would otherwise not have known about. So um, a very always a popular area anyway, but but kind of comes and goes in terms of people's demand for it. Um, but yeah, CDN Exchange is really, really a great place to, to be, you know, on your desktop all the time, you know, on your trading day. Um, and it's so complicated, unfortunately, uh, that has been one of the barriers to entry was just to understand all the depth and, and features of the system. So David uh, Broughton, who, who is the genius behind all our podcasts here and, you know, as unsung hero, uh, behind the scenes, he has also now helping us with instructional videos. So he's finally exposed himself on those instructional videos. Thank you very much, and um, doing a great job. So you, on the, if you're a member of the site or even not a member, you can watch some of these videos and learn about what's available to you there. And I think that's critically important as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, if you're not aware, if you're not um, super tech savvy, for instance, or you're questioning whether you should make take the plunge if you're a dealer. I highly encourage you to watch all the videos, and I think your your mind will be made up um, for the relatively low uh, cost per month. Uh, how much you're getting back? Right, I I think so. We we've we're really we're really trying to make it accessible to every coin dealer in the country. That's our goal. That is our absolute goal. Yeah, and and I think just the pricing data alone is worth is worth the price of admission. Um, and then all the other benefits are just uh, you know icing on the cake. Sure. Sure. We could go on and on. Of course, you know, you just recently uploaded into the system, as an example, you know, the entire historical database of Stax Bauer's paper money auctions, which has never before been available to anybody, as far as I know. 
Uh, it took us two and a half years of poking and prodding them to get that data because, you know, they have other things to do with their time than provide us with historic uh, data. But we, we were able to convince them of the value of that. And so now we have, you know, all the heritage auction data for paper money. We have Stacks Bowers. We have a good amount of Lynn Knight and, you know, and other companies. And you know, if you're dealing in paper money, you can't possibly exist without CDN Exchange. You, you, I don't know how you would get the information you need. So there's just one of the many things. Of course, now you can also get Chinese paper money values there because we've added that as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All the pricing in the book is there. And uh, you can place bids on United States paper money, too. I mean, it's and, and directly right. influence the green sheet, which was never possible before. And to my knowledge, right. has never been, uh, you know, something that CDN offered. Never, never been offered really, as far as I know, on any platform. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting. And we're going to feature CDN Exchange on the cover of the April Gray Sheet. So there'll be more information there. We are finally uh, ready to really push this product out to the rest of the coin market after basically, you know, 10 years of, of um, soft testing it, as you would say. We are ready for prime time. So we're looking forward to that and uh, getting feedback from anybody who might be interested in, in it. So, so thank you, uh, everyone, for joining us today. Um, Patrick, I didn't mean to cut you off if you had any more to recap in this podcast. No, uh, no, it was, it was great. Uh, I always enjoy doing these. And, um, you know, we'll see what the uh, next couple of months hold for uh, the rare coin market. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot going on in the U.S. economy. And I think in our next podcast, that's what we'll focus on is how the economy affects the rare coin business, and especially in, in this 20, you know, time of the coronavirus and the stock market plunge, and it's an election year, and we got all kinds of interesting factors to talk about in the next podcast. So thank you very much to, for joining us today, and we look forward to getting any of your feedback and sharing it with you and our other readers. Great. Thank you. Thank you.